You're listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast that brings you conversation and inspiration from your favorite authors, editors, and creators, giving you new perspectives on the world of books, culture, and the arts. We are part of the HarperCollins Presents Network of Podcasts. I'm Anna Maria Alessi, and with me today is Dr. Sean McFate, a professor at the National Defense University and Georgetown University's School of Foreign Service. Dr. McFade also works for a couple of think tanks. He's a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and an adjunct social scientist at the RAND Corporation. Prior to academia, McFate was a paratrooper in the U.S. Army's 82nd Airborne Division and a manager for DynCor International, a private military company where he operated in Africa and Eastern Europe. He's written a lot about international politics, including the book The Modern Mercenary, Private Armies and What They Mean for World Order. But he joins me today to talk about his first work of fiction, Shadow War, publishing by William Morrow on May 10th. Welcome, Dr. McFate. Thank you. It's good to be here. Shadow War has been described as an American James Bond meets the twist and turns of Homeland and in the tradition of Daniel Silva, Brad Thor, and Tom Clancy. And I can attest that all of that is absolutely true. Shadow War is the story of an American on a secret mission to save a businessman's family in Eastern Europe. And I I really don't want to say too much more than that because I don't want to give too much away. Tell us about Tom Locke and the mission that he's on. Well, Tom Locke is actually a little bit based on my own life. Had I remained in the professional world that I was in, which was basically I I was a paratrooper in the U.S. Army and got out and went sort of private sector, a warrior, and worked for uh, the private military industry in Africa. And a lot of the book, a lot of Tom Locke, is based on my own experiences. And um, and hopefully it is revealing things that you can share in fiction you can't discuss in nonfiction, which is partly why I decided to write a novel. Yes, and so set the story up and what this mission is and, and sort of the challenges therein. Sure. The story actually begins in Libya. Tom Locke is working for a client who wants to extract oil from Libya during its civil war, uh, when Gaddafi, etc. And during a mission there, he gets a phone call, a satellite phone call from headquarters in Washington saying the mission is off. And long story short is he gets sent into Ukraine, where you know Putin's Russian forces yeah. are working against the Ukraine forces in the east. And he's shot into this world, not being an expert from that area. He's an African sort of war expert. Right. Uh, and he gets sucked into international politics, into Wall Street and Houston, money politics, into other politics. And the hope is, is that as Locke discovers this world, which he's unfamiliar with, the readers also That's exactly what happens. That's finding, exactly what happens yeah. because, of course, I'm totally unfamiliar with it. And that's a great device to sort of learn along with him. And I'm going to ask you specifically about a bunch of lingo later okay. on because it's all so interesting. But tell us also sort of a little bit about some of the key players as much as you can. So I was interested in Brad Winters and then mm-hmm. Ali McFarlane, you know, just sort of set that up a little bit. Sure. Too. So his boss is a man by the name of Brad Winters. And Brad Winters is very typical of a Washington, D.C. player. He's not a congressman. He's the type of guy who would pay for a congressman. And it sort of shows you a little bit about the intersection between business 
politics, and international affairs. So Brad Winters is the CEO, emeritus in this case, of Apollo Outcomes. It's sort of like Blackwater meets Goldman Sachs. It's a major private military corporation that does work that nobody's ever heard of for the Pentagon or the CIA, which is somewhat based on reality. Yeah, that's the scary part, is that clearly you know enough about this that it is somewhat based in reality. Well, the truth is, is that, you know, today the United States outsources a lot of its foreign policy. Traditionally, things that were inherently governmental are being outsourced to corporations daily. And so this company, Apollo Outcomes, is sort of uh, an example of that. And it's a for-profit company, correct? Yes. And it's traded on the New York Stock Exchange. And, and, you know, I work for companies that were traded in the New York Stock Exchange who raised armies in Africa, which is my job. Again, this is, it's stranger than fiction. Yeah. And then there's there's an enormous amount of twists and turns and there's there's romance it's yeah. it's fantastic. Please tell us about the dedication. You dedicated this to the person who looked out for you when you were a mercenary in the field, if you can. So um, one of my jobs working for the private sector, the military private sector, is uh, we were hired to raise Liberia's army. Now, Liberia is a small West African country that suffered 14 years of horrific civil war. Charles Taylor, child soldiers, blood diamonds, all that was going on. Human rights atrocities. And the United States government actually paid Dine Corps International to raise an army for Liberia, which is crazy. Like one nation state paying company to raise another nation state's armed forces, which we did. And after it was done, which we did successfully, I had this really powerful dream one night. And it was this huge, burly black man with scars in his face and a shaved head wearing blue coveralls. And we were sitting like on a construction site on an I-beam. And he looked at me and said, thank you. And it was a very powerful dream. It wasn't sort of like typical dream. I, I woke up from it thinking it was real, feeling a presence. And I later talked to a good friend of mine. Her name is Cynthia Wilson. And she's like, oh, that's Ogun. And I'm like, what is Ogun? He's like, oh, he's an African Orisha. What's an African Orisha? They're like African deities. And Ogun is like the god of steel and the god of war. And I felt that he was thanking me for the part I played in helping create a new military for Liberia. And since then, I've kept a shrine to Ogun, if you will, on my bar, because he likes to drink gin. On your bar? Yes, that's where I'm told (laughs) to keep a shrine to Ogun. Now, I'm not a priest of of Ogun. It's a sort of honoring him. And I felt that he um, inspired me in many ways to do a lot of the work I've done. So I I dedicated the book to him. Oh, that's lovely. That's really interesting. And you had no knowledge of him prior to the dream? Do you think, how did you... How do you think you conjured up the image? I don't know. That was, it was a strange, I mean, most times I think dreams are like, I have a mad film director in my head clipping through memories. Yeah, stuff and, that you actually have yeah. maybe experienced. This yeah, yeah, was yeah. an alien experience, but it was very palpable. Wow. People have had dreams like this. Not many dreams, but many people have dreams. And this was such a dream. I woke up. Wow. I felt like actually was there. Uh, it wasn't a dream. It was something much more vibrant to me. Why did you turn to fiction? Because I've heard you talk about some of your nonfiction, and it's so fascinating and so interesting. What led you to want to write fiction? Well, this actually, this book began as a memoir. Okay. And my agent and friend, Peter McWeegan, said, if you write this, you're going to get in trouble with the U.S. government. Yeah, it's all going to have to You're going to get in trouble squashed. with the governments of, you know, African governments. You're going to potentially get sued by one of these corporations. And why not just make it into fiction and use that as a platform 
to talk about reality and actually have some more fun with it. Yeah, yeah. And that's exactly what happened. And so what was it like writing fiction versus nonfiction? Totally different. The first time I tried it, it was an abysmal failure. Writing <laughs> like, you know, dialogue, people, that's true, but they don't admit it. Go ahead. Yes, <laughs> I admit it. And um, I was very fortunate. Peter, my literary agent, put me in touch with Brett Witter. And Brett Witter, who is a good friend and a great author, very versatile author, uh, we co-wrote the book together. Okay. And he had co-written books like Monuments Men and some other okay. books. And so I had a lot of the substance, and he kind of worked through yeah. like the dialogue and character development and a great apprenticeship for me. And the idea is that now I will take over uh, the writer, if you will. Yeah, perfect. It was, it was so good. So now I'm going to ask you about yeah. some of the, the lingo. Yes. All right, because I, I just found all this stuff out. All right. I'm great. just going to say it, and then you tell me what it is. Okay. Tell us all. 72-hour go bag. Ah, a go bag. So uh, you're in the military or the private military world. You always keep a bag packed by the door in case you have to go someplace. And you don't know if you're going for an hour or a month or six months. And so when I was in the industry, I kept two different ones. I kept one for the what we might call the developed world and one for the undeveloped world. All right. TOC. A tactical operations center. So this is sort of like uh, whether you're in the U.S. Army, you're in a private military corporation, there's a talk. It's like the nerve center. Uh, and it's it's what you see on like TV shows with like monitors and oh, everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's in like truth, a si- situation room. It's like a situation room. But in truth, like it's the worst job. In, uh, Cause why? Because you just sit there. Because you day? just sit there and look, and you're, and it's like underventilated, and yeah. you're behind a safe. It's it's like a, basically a vault. Yeah. Uh, it's top secret, and uh, you're on shift twelve hours, and you're you know eating bad vending food. And so, who you know. are those guys? Um, well, a lot of people actually like to do this. They're sort of they, they have a battle captain like mentality, and that's that's great. A lot of these guys are re- sort of former operators. Okay. Uh, and They're sort of segueing. Yeah, they want a more staid lifestyle. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and there's a lot of great people doing it. I never enjoyed doing it. So, what's a kite? A kite mission or a kite operative is is an expendable person. They're cut away like a kite if things go really bad to grant plausible deniability to the operation. Because that is key in every situation. That's right. You've always got to have your plausible deniability. Well, that's actually one reason why the U.S. government is turning to this industry is because they offer more plausible deniability than the CIA can even offer. So is part of your job in teaching and being involved in the think tanks to try to help people get this right when we do utilize these firms? That's right. And what's so shocking is that even people in Washington don't realize to the extent that they're being used. We're being used. So if you look at the war in Iraq or the war in Afghanistan, half of those wars were given to contractors. Yeah. I mean, the force structure was 50-50 contractor and soldier. For every soldier, there was a contractor. In World War II, it was only 10%. Yeah. And now it's like 50%. All right. Well, this has been so interesting. Congratulations on the book. It was such a great read. And it's not the type of book that that I would normally think that I would be so engaged with. And it was really terrific. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. This episode was edited by Kat Theck with production help from Jennifer Monroe. The books featured in this episode are available for purchase wherever books are sold. Please be sure to subscribe to Harper Audio Presents, and you can send us a question or comment via our Facebook page. We hope you'll join us next time as we hear more from the leading figures across books, culture, and the arts, all brought to you by Harper Audio Presents.